Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this morning uh, to Mark's Gospel. And we're turning to Mark chapter 16. And we are looking at uh, the final verses uh, of Mark together uh, this morning. Uh, We have been looking at Mark over the past two years. And uh, so this morning we are coming to a close in our study of Mark together. Mark chapter 16 And beginning our reading at verse 19. In the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 854. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them, and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. As we've been looking at Mark, uh, we have been highlighting uh, the events surrounding both Jesus' life, uh, his death, but also his resurrection. And it might be tempting to simply end with a thought of the resurrection of Jesus. But the Gospels also highlight how Jesus, who was raised uh, on the third day, also ascended into heaven. And we want to look at uh, the importance of Jesus's ascension uh, to realize that it's not simply about a departure or uh, simply an escape, but rather to see it uh, much more broadly as the work of God, of glorifying uh, his servant. And this morning, we want to think about because Jesus has been taken up into heaven, we are to recognize his glory and to respond to it. And so we want to look at these last two verses uh, in two thoughts. We want to think about recognizing the glory of the risen and exalted king and then responding uh, to his decree. The gospel is an announcement about something that has happened. Uh, We have said that the gospel concerns the kingdom of God. You remember that at the beginning of Mark's writing, he said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Uh, it, is, it is centered on Jesus and on his work, but it's also centered on the kingdom of God, about God's rule uh, being manifested in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is king. And this morning we are looking at how the king has come and how the king has been exalted uh, by the Father. It tells us there in verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Even uh, those details there are very important. Uh, When it says that the Lord Jesus uh, was taken up, it is again highlighting to us just who is this Jesus. He is Lord which is greatly significant. Because when you go back to the beginning of Mark's gospel there, you remember how Mark began uh, the gospel. He said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But then he quotes from the prophets, and he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, that the prophets were expecting that the Lord will come, 
that God will manifest himself, that, uh, that the work uh, of John the Baptist was to prepare for God's coming. And now as we come to the end of Mark's gospel, Mark wraps up his understanding of Jesus, having described him as the son of God, having described him as the Christ, is now making it very plain that the one that was anticipated, the coming of the Lord, is fulfilled in Jesus himself. That what Isaiah was talking about uh, is realized in Jesus. They are one and the same. But Mark here highlights that the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, Mark doesn't tell us how that happened. Uh, he doesn't even tell us when it happened. For those details, we turn elsewhere. We turn to the book of Acts, where we hear that it was 40 days after, and we hear that it was, he was taken up into a cloud. Mark is rather focused on the event and the significance that Jesus was uh, taken up into glory. And you'll notice there that Mark doesn't even use the language that we might anticipate. Uh, he doesn't say that Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, as John does in his gospel. But rather, he uses the language of Jesus was taken up, uh, highlighting that this is ultimately an exaltation that Jesus receives from the Father. While it is true that Jesus ascends into heaven, Mark really wants to center on the fact that he is being exalted by the Father in this process. That this is something of the, a public affirmation that is happening by the Father uh, as he uh, departs uh, from the disciples. So how are we to understand uh, the significance of Jesus' ascension? We, we see the uh, significance in a couple of ways. First, in terms of being exalted by the Father. Uh, again, that language there uh, that he was taken up uh, is a stressing of this is the Father being pleased with his Son and rewarding him with his work. But it's also language that is reminiscent of uh, one of the prophets in the Old Covenant. Uh, before, we mentioned that Mark's gospel uh, makes many allusions to Elijah, uh, that in a couple of occasions, uh, there is the question whether or not Jesus is Elijah. Uh, but there are many echoes of Elijah in Jesus' ministry. And here, even the language itself is reminiscent of Elijah's own experience. Elijah was a very intriguing prophet. Uh, he lived in a very difficult time in Israel's history. Uh, when the rulers of the nation were wicked rulers, ungodly rulers that were uh, promoting false religion. But what is most striking about Elijah is, is that Elijah was someone who was combating that idolatry and seemingly making little progress. Uh, that he was someone who stood for the truth uh, but was despised for it. But ultimately, at the end, it's his departure that becomes so characteristic when we think about Elijah. Because Elijah, when he was uh, ministering uh, with his successor, Elisha, it tells us that chariots and horses of fire separated them, and he was taken up into a whirlwind. That Elijah's departure from this world was really a public affirmation of God's honoring of his servant a man who was despised 
for standing for truth, a man who stood at seemingly for himself by himself, was affirmed and honored in the way that he departed from this world. And so it tells us that it was as he was speaking, speaking that he was taken up into heaven. And those same characteristics now are being used about Jesus. Jesus himself was being exalted and honored by the Father in his departure. But he wasn't simply being exalted as uh, uh, a servant or as a faithful servant, but he was being exalted uh, by the Father as king. You see the language that it is using. It says, so the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That language there is trying to explain to us the honoring that he is receiving as king. Uh, it is a, a, a clear echo, an allusion to Psalm 110. We could look at the ascension here, and we might be tempted to think about it uh, simply as Jesus' departure from uh, this world. But from a heavenly point of view, Jesus' ascension marks his entry into heaven. It, it marks his enthronement as king. It is the way in which it is a public affirmation of the father's pleasure with his son as he uh, receives the reward of his work. In Psalm 110, as we were singing, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand. And throughout Mark's gospel, Mark has been appealing to that psalm. This is vital for our understanding of Jesus. You remember that Jesus himself appealed to the psalm uh, about the identity of the Messiah. When he challenged his opponents and he said, to whom was David talking about? What was David meaning when he said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand? How is it that David, who is king, David, who is the greatest king of Israel's history, David, who is the recipient of God's promise of an everlasting kingdom, how is it that David could speak about a descendant of his as being greater than him, as his Lord? And you remember that Jesus was pressing his opponents to realize that the Messiah was not just a son of David, but he was David's Lord, David's master, the one in whom David put his faith in ultimately and bowed in submission to. Jesus was really pressing them to see what the scriptures said about the Messiah. He is fully man, but he is also fully divine. Mark also appealed to this passage in the testimony of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. You remember when the, uh, the, the council, the religious leaders, were pressing Jesus about his identity. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And you remember that Jesus appealed to this idea of Psalm 110, that he himself said that uh, he was the Son of Man and that they would see him seated at the right hand of power, the right hand of God. So Jesus identified himself with this psalm as being the one who would fulfill it himself. Not only did he appeal to the person of the Messiah by alluding to this psalm, but he also appealed to his victory his triumph by appealing to this song. And now here at the end of Mark's gospel, once again, we turn to Psalm 110 
to be able to understand the fulfillment of God's purposes, that he is the one who has ascended into heaven as a fulfillment of God's word. Why is it that Jesus ascends into heaven? Because that's what the scriptures had always promised. He would be rewarded with an everlasting kingdom, that his dominion would not be taken away, that the nations would be given to him as his reward. And that is publicly made known through his ascension uh, into heaven. We read there in Daniel where it said, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and it was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so when Jesus takes his position as he sits at the right hand of God, it is really the language in the ancient world. Uh, if someone sat at the right hand of, of a monarch, they really ruled in the position, in the place of the king. They functioned. They had the authority of the king in all that they do. They are equal with the king. And now that language is being used of Jesus. As he ascends into heaven, he assumes the posture of God Almighty, that he assumes the posture of Almighty uh, King. The ascension of Jesus then teaches us not only that Jesus has triumphed over death and over the curse of sin, but that he has been exalted above every name as a result and made King over all. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. To the glory of God the Father. This is the will of God to glorify the son who is now reigning as king, as mediator over sinners who can be reconciled through his reign, through his work of mediation. Is that how you think about Jesus? That when you think about Jesus, you don't make this division in your mind of thinking about someone who lived a long time ago someone who was apparently crucified, someone who uh, there were events that he uh, rose from the dead, that there was an empty tomb, that you're not simply cutting your mindset about Jesus as someone who lived a long time ago, but rather you're understanding that the one who was crucified, the one who was raised, is the one who right now is reigning as king. That he has ascended to the right hand of God and is ruling over the nations as king. That's Jesus who is presented to us as good news. He has assumed the posture of king over all things. And he has been given uh, the approval of his father. So we're not just thinking about his humiliating death. We're not just thinking about the fact that there was the empty tomb, but we have recognized that he has been honored by the Father and been taken up into glory to reign over creation. 
just as the prophet said. That's how we are to think about Jesus. But this begins to shape the whole way that we think about the world around us. Because Jesus himself was despised. You remember that he was, he was rejected by his own people. He was put to shame. He was exposed to a humiliating death. He was someone who was despised by his own generation. But the exaltation of Jesus, his ascension into heaven, shows us that what matters most is the verdict of God. We live in a society that is increasingly an honor-shame society. We don't want to be rejected by others. We don't want to be put to shame by our peers. We want people to affirm us. And as a result, we can very easily go along with people so as not to be rejected, so as not to be looked down upon. But the ascension of Jesus overturns that, that fear, overturns that, that gripping control of our life where we don't want others to reject us. It helps us to see that what matters most is not being honored by other people, but about the verdict of God. Because Jesus, who was put to shame, is in the end honored by his Father. He ascends to glory where he now reigns as king. And when we realize that it's the verdict of God that matters most, it helps us to live now in our own position with that mindset, to put things in their proper place. And rather than just saying, what will others say if I do X, Y, Z? We can be able to start with the question, what is the will of my king? How do I honor my king in this situation. Because that is what is uh, at the, the heart of it all. So here we see that he was honored by the father. Uh, he was approved uh, by the father as he assumes uh, his position as king. He was taken up uh, by the father into glory. But not only does Christ's ascension signal his exaltation to power, but it also signals that he is able to help all those who call on him. The late Anglican James Packer explains, the reigning Lord intercedes for his people, though requesting from the Father is part of that work of intercession. We might think that Jesus has ascended and now he intercedes on our behalf, that he makes supplications, he asks on our behalf. What we think of primarily when we think about the risen king is that he is now intervening in our interest. He is able to provide and to supply on our behalf. That in his sovereignty, he now lavishes upon us the benefits of what his suffering has won for us. Packer goes on to say, from his throne, he sends the spirit constantly to enrich his people so that they are equipped for service. That begins to shape the way we live. If Christ has risen and is now reigning over all things, then I know that he is able to provide in his authority for his people, that we can live under his will and under his control, knowing that he will provide for us uh, with the spirit uh, to equip us for a life of service. So what is... Uh, 
what is being communicated here. It's not just Jesus left this world. It's the fact that Jesus is being publicly affirmed and declared to be glorious by the Father. He ascends into heaven to assume his position as king. And he is being exalted by the Father uh, in, in such a way. And so we live in response to that. We recognize that it is the will of God that is most important. And we recognize that Christ is king. He is able to provide us with our needs. But we also see in these verses here uh, the call to respond to his glory. You see that in verse 20. It says, They went out and they preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. One of the characteristics that we can sometimes detect in many ancient writings is something that people call an inclusio, which is just a fancy way of saying that something that you bring up at the beginning of your, uh, your writing, you appeal back to it uh, to bring a sense of closure. We do that in our essays, don't we? When we write uh, a document for school, we might state, uh, say something at the beginning, and then in our conclusion, we, we drive home what we have been trying to say the whole time. This is what I was trying to impress upon you. And you can see that in many uh, writings. You can see it even in the, the Gospels. You turn to, uh, for instance, the Gospel of Matthew. What do you see in the opening chapter of Matthew but the theme of God's presence? That there will be a child who is born, whose name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The presence of God is established at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Then you flip to the end of Matthew's gospel, and that theme of the presence of God is reiterated. Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the ages. God's presence is with us. And so Matthew's gospel is really embedded with these characteristics of the presence of God. Emmanuel has come. And Emmanuel is with us by his spirit. You turn to the Gospel of Luke. In the opening chapter, what do you find? You find the characteristics of the people in the temple praising God. Then you turn to the end of Luke's Gospel, and what do you find? That the people are constantly in the temple blessing the name of God as a result of Christ's ascension. Worship characterizes the response to God's revelation. In the same way, you come to Mark's gospel, and what do you find? In the opening chapter, you hear this message of proclaiming the kingdom of God. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see how Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then you turn to the end of Mark's gospel, and it tells us what? They went out and they preached everywhere. These fishermen became fishers of men. It tells us they went everywhere, and while they went everywhere preaching Christ, the Lord worked with them. That explains how these common fishermen, these Galileans, were able to effectively transform the world. How they turned the world upside down and people came to embrace the Lord Jesus because God was working through them. But why were they doing it? Why did the Galileans go out telling others about this Jesus? 
It was because they came to understand what the good news is. It was because they came to understand that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. That through his death and resurrection, he makes sinners right before God. He has atoned for their sins. He has covered their sins. And that's a message that all people need to hear because we are all guilty before God. They went out because they understood that Jesus has all authority because he is king and we are to submit to his will. These Galileans, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, they didn't go out because they were clever. They didn't go out because they were so self-confident that they wanted to assert themselves. They went out because they were burdened with a message that they knew others needed to hear. They went out to declare the risen king. And they did it with all trepidation, but knowing that their king needs to be glorified, that his will is to be honored. And so it tells us not only did they go out and preach, but they went out everywhere uh, doing so because all people need to hear about this king. That it's not simply an invitation, but a summons to come before the Lord's anointed. It tells us they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message. Think about that. Just recently, I was talking with someone and we were highlighting that sometimes when we talk to others, uh, we can be filled with nervousness. Uh, maybe you've had that experience where someone's trying to talk to you and you can tell that they're, they're nervous as they talk to you. And you think to yourself, they're obviously uh, 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 shaken by trying to open up or to try to reach out about this issue that they're talking about. But if we're able to calmly listen to them, we'll be able to say, this is obviously important to them. They are willing to extend themselves because they care, but also because the issue is serious. That's why these disciples went out, because they cared about others, but also because the issue is serious. And as they did go out, God blessed the message of, uh, that they proclaimed. The Lord Jesus confirmed the message by accompanying signs. But just as Jesus was con uh, uh, confirming the message back then, so the risen Lord continues to work even today. That, that the Lord Jesus is still Lord and God is still blessing and building his church uh, as it goes forward. If we profess to be Christians, then as we go out and live in this world, we are to keep ever before us, what would my king have me do? Rather than simply uh, living, uh, trying to avoid uh, giving offense, we are to begin with the conviction of how do I serve my king uh, as an ambassador for Christ. So here we see uh, this, this highlight Jesus purposed to make these disciples into fishers of men. Not maybe the ideal candidates, we might think, but candidates who did fulfill that work because they were changed. 
because they came to understand Jesus is Lord, and they were prepared to die for it. They believed in his authority overall. They believed in his relevance overall, and they submitted to his help overall as well. Are we living the same way? If we have yet to come to trust in Christ, we should consider the claims of Christ, but also to see that Christ continues to work even today. The message of Jesus is not just about something that happened a long time ago, but we realize that it is a present reality. Jesus is Lord, and he calls us to repent and to believe, to submit to his authority, to trust in his work and his care. And in doing so, we come to know joy. We come to have peace with God. And we come to live uh, under God's will. How did these people transform the world? It was because the glory of the risen king had uh, uh, made himself known and had made known his will. It was because Christ had worked through them, uh, and he continues to do that today. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the ascension of Jesus, that we would see how it shapes uh, the way that we think about the present, that we would see that Jesus is Lord even now, and that we would live uh, in, in light of uh, his exaltation, that we would live in light of uh, uh, his accomplishments, and that we would live in light of his will. Go before us, we pray then, and lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.